Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. With your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Sucks. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host this week, Jen Scott is here. How's it going, Hello, Jen? hello, hello, hello. It's going. How are you? I am just fantastic. I'm fresh off watching this documentary, so I'm in a great mood, feeling really <laughs> happy and upbeat. Uh, Jen is my co-host on Trend Pony also, if true. people it's are true. unaware. We have a new episode of Trend Pony coming out this week on Friday, and my other Trend Pony co-host Jessica Singer is on this week's episode of You Don't Even Like This Show. It's a fucking clickety-clack kind of week around here. Action-packed clickety-clack. Right? Horse noises. Also, that like beginning how are you conversation was probably the most normal conversation we've ever had. I was like, this is weird. Yeah. We were like, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? And it was weird as fuck. Yeah. Normally, our recordings start off a little stranger than this i mean i did open dunking on stuff but i hadn't hit record yet i came in (laughs) hot being like fuck this fuck that (laughs) that's true this documentary we're covering i know i'm pushing the boundaries a bit when i call this a true crime documentary there are i stand with it though because i think that this should be a crime i agree with you Especially when it comes to like regulating social media or at least making social media a less worst place. Cutting back on shit like this would help. I think that catfishing should be illegal. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, especially if it, if there's ramifications like this. So we should point out. Or we should. Yeah, I was like, is that a spoiler? I don't even, <laughs> I don't think so. Like, cause the whole story is very prevalent. Like when I was talking about that, I was watching this documentary to random people. I was the only person who did not know this story. Yeah, it's a crazy story. The documentary we're covering is called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. Bum, bum, bum. And it covers the story of former professional football player and star Notre Dame football player, Manti Teo. Manti, sexy as fuck Teo. He's a pretty dude and he wasn't in college he was just a dude in college but he was just an awkward football player dude in college yeah time has been good to his face which is yeah his talking head gorgeous (laughs) which is surprising given the shit he's been through because it's the kind of stuff that would age a person Mm -hmm. to i guess put it bluntly manti teo was very famously catfished like public the fucking so embarrassingly too yeah it in like yeah the worst possible way and this documentary covers that and again yeah i know it's not exactly true crime but good enough there's emotional crimes committed well i think that honestly impersonating someone that you're not online and catfishing should both be illegal. Both of those things should be illegal. Why are we allowing people to do that? And also you're, if anyone has the commentary of, Oh, well that's what the verification system is for. No, because that shit doesn't matter. And also you have to pay for that. And so it's really, really common to be impersonated by people, especially if you're anyone who's not like, 
openly accepted by whatever the fucking Zuckerverse wants you to be. Yeah. And so like any verification, people are either paying for that in some way or another, or it like doesn't matter because people are still going to impersonate you. And all it's doing is creating a class system within the internet. But anyway, that's kind of besides the point, but it just should be illegal. Yeah. And in this case, though, it happened like right at the cusp of catfishing becoming a thing people knew about. Like he was really on the cutting edge of being an Internet victim in that way. Like this was pre catfish the show. Yeah, it was 2009 is when it all starts. And that makes sense why I didn't hear this story that it was 2009. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, you still had to like kind of pay attention to sports media to get this story. Or at least like the news. Yeah. And like, like even in 2009, by, I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I was doing. And by, even by then, people weren't really fucking with the news like that. Like not young. People. Yeah. Like we were at least to the point where people were kind of just getting their news from the internet. Yeah. So, I mean, I was out for sure on any news. So this documentary starts by interviewing a person named Ronaya Tuasasopo. It is pointed out that the interview subjects in this did not know that Ronaya now identifies as a woman. And that was a very cool disclaimer of them. To I agree. Because at the end of this, I don't even think I put it in the notes, but when Manti Teo's reflecting on it, he keeps saying him and he and that guy, and it would be easy to jump to the conclusion that he's just ignoring the fact that Ronaya now identifies as a woman. But no, he just did not know. And there yeah, are I mean it would be it would be easy to dismiss everyone in this as being transphobic if they didn't do that disclaimer as well. Yes. And so Ronaya grew up in a football family, played football in high school, even though they hated football, which that stands to reason. I don't think that I realize that people in this culture see football as a part of the religion kind of. It's felt like that to these families. That oh, they yeah. were like the staples of our religion is football. Yeah, it's a big deal. There are a lot of players in the NFL past and present who come from this very culture. It's a huge thing. And so Ronaya was forced into that, you know, forced into playing football, even though they hated football. So to kind of live the life that Ronaya secretly wanted to live, she set up a fake social media profile under the mm-hmm. name Lene Kakua. That part, if nothing else, should be illegal because she doesn't just set up a social media mm-hmm. profile. She steals someone else's photos to set up that social media profile yep and that's impersonating a whole different person that should be illegal yeah and i don't think even if there are laws against it now which i still kind of doubt i don't think that there are it would be so hard to manage yeah we still very much leave it up to social media companies to kind of police themselves and Mm -hmm. it rarely works It's very bad. It's a horrible system across the board. So Ronaya steals pictures from this girl. We don't find out who she is until the end, but sets up this profile under the name Lene Kakua. Fake photos, fake name, but otherwise living their real personality as a woman. And there's a quote where Ronaya says, 
I didn't care who I was hurting. And that seems very true. Yo, fuck Naya. Honestly, fuck her forever. Honestly. Yeah, they do go out of their way to make Ronaya seem like kind of a sympathetic figure here. And no, I'm not buying I'm it. I'm so not like I fucking hate this trope. I'm sorry. Gay people, trans people, every kind of person can be a fucking asshole. And any of those things and their journey towards being self-acceptance of that, I don't care what you say. If you fucking did shit that you knew you were hurting people along the way, you're a shitty person. Yeah. And in this case, especially, it goes so far beyond just impersonating someone on the internet. So many opportunities to bail. Every day is a new opportunity for them to bail. And I think you could pretty safely call what happens to Manti Teo here abuse. Like, oh, the deepest emotional abuse. Like, so sad. And like, there are some hints or allegations that maybe he was involved in this, which I don't actually. I think he was zero involved in this. I think he was a very nice person who got taken advantage of, love bombed, breadcrumbed, gaslit, like everything possible that you would do to emotionally manipulate someone in a real relationship. This bitch did from behind a screen without ever meeting him. Yeah, it's intense. And you're right. He does seem like. Like they talk about his childhood a little bit. He seems like he was a good kid and he seems like a nice guy. Like he's deeply religious, but he seems like he's religious in like the The moral basis way. He seems very like he's not preaching to anybody. He's just practicing morality, which is like the type of religious person that I do get behind because that's a person who's just subscribing to having hope in reality and not subscribing to some higher power controlling everything you know yeah yeah he's not using it to hurt people which that's right a big difference obviously he was obviously good at football as a kid he made it to the nfl even the shittiest nfl player is one of the best football players in the world (laughs) he eventually gets a scholarship to play at notre dame which is kind of like making the nfl of college it really football. is noted like i know fucking very little about sports and football but i know if you play college ball at notre dame it is a big fucking deal yeah and we're both from illinois so it's like yes illinois doesn't really have like they have colleges that are division one what are you gonna go teams. to u of i yeah. okay you have a fucking fighting illini get a life Ugh. God, every fucking boring ass wall of a person that yeah. went to my high school went to U of I. <laughs> gonna go to DePaul. No one's going to Ugh. DePaul. Get out of here. So yeah. Okay, Notre- Iowa. <laughs> so yeah, Notre Dame, if you're from Illinois, is kind of like your it's unofficial college team. Mm-hmm. Like not for me. I didn't I never really gave a shit about Notre I mean, Dame. we didn't care, but we were definitely around people that cared. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I feel like we get it in terms of Notre Dame's history and how prestigious they are. And in the name of that, I feel like they could have lost some of the history of Notre Dame stuff in this documentary. I feel like it was a little excessive, but if you truly are watching this blind to everything ever about sports, like say you're an alien in the future that watches this, I feel like you get it then. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I think this documentary is a good example of a thing I do a whole podcast about, which is sports 
stories for people who don't like sports. Like, yes. even though this kind of revolves around football, you don't I have didn't to feel like I was being beaten with football while watching yeah. it. Yeah, they, I mean, they have to cover some of his games because they're happening. The gameplay is important to the story, yeah. Yeah, they're happening in the midst of all of this other stuff happening to him. So yeah, they get into some of that. But yeah, don't see football and think you're immediately not going to like this. That's one of the reasons I wanted to cover this because Untold is a whole series of documentaries like this. I saw that and I was like, oh wow, I would watch more of these because this was really well made. Yeah, there's one about Tim Donahue, who was a NBA referee who was convicted of fixing oh, that's games the for the little, mob. The little blip they played at the end yeah, was yeah. trying to get you to watch that. Yeah, that one's And he was really like, good. boy, did I fuck my life up, or whatever <laughs> he said. He sure did. And yeah, they're all kind of along these lines, where they're stories about athletes, but they're not necessarily sports stories oh it's all all of those are about athlete adjacent stuff yes there's oh oh. there's a really good one called breaking point that i think i mentioned on trend pony which is about a tennis player named marty fish who was (laughs) one of the first athletes to be really upfront about mental health issues and that documentary is really good also but speaking of that did you see that Simone Biles is back yeah that's interesting I didn't know that she had left because she got the twisties yeah that's so scary during the last Olympics she ended up having to drop out because she was like fucking up her landings in a way where she was I didn't know what the twisties was yeah I didn't know what it was yeah, the twisties. Uh, in some sports, they call it the yips, where you just like mm-hmm. it. Ha- it also happens in tennis. There's a player named Marina Sabalenka who is, I think, number two in the world right now, maybe number three. And she went through this period where she just like could not serve. Like her serve was just broken, and it was a mental thing. And her coach was like, you know, I'm not doing my job. I'm just gonna resign. Like I'm clearly the problem. And she was like, Nah, man. I'm the problem and I got to figure that shit out. And she eventually did, but yeah, it happens. So crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the documentary was well done and I didn't feel like it was like football, 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 sports, sports, sports. I don't even feel like it painted because a lot of things when it comes to football specifically will paint football to be the bad guy or not. And I don't feel like it took a stance on what football is at all. Yeah. I agree with that. And because I feel like football is very frequently made into the, an evil. Yeah. And that's because it kind of is. Kinda, yeah. That's the problem. It kind of is. And even in this, there's a point where all of this stuff comes out. And the big question, like we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but the big question becomes, oh, did he just do this to hide the fact that he's gay? And like, it's all anyone wants to talk about. And this was a point in NFL history where there weren't really any openly gay NFL players. Are there now? Let me look up one thing. I was going to say, I don't know that there are any. I don't remember any gay. No, there are. NFLers. So what year was Michael Sam? Okay, so this, yeah, this predates Michael Sam. Michael Sam was an openly gay NFL player, and he was entering 
the NFL draft. Well, he was an openly gay college football player. And there was all this controversy about whether anyone would draft him because at the time, the NFL just kind of considered homosexuality like a cancer in a locker room. Like once everyone else knows that player's gay, no one's going to respect him. No one's going to want him as a teammate. And Michael Sam kind of tested those waters and one got drafted in like the sixth round, like super duper late and then played in a couple preseason games and then got cut. And the speculation was it's because he's gay and no one wants him in the locker room. And so this man Titeo stuff is five years before that. Well, damn. No, about two years, because he enters the draft in 2012. So it's about two years, because Michael Sam was drafted in 2014. So it was a different time in the NFL. The first openly gay NFL player was a guy named uh, Carl Nassib, who played for the Raiders and was released last year, I think. Oh, so, but so that's the one. The NFL has a gay friend. They're not homophobes. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, this is open. We all know that these dudes um, be doing some questionable things when no one's looking. Um, <laughs> oh, they're so nervous about someone who's gay being in the locker room. What? Because then they'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> sure, bud. Um, <laughs> but no, I thought that. His whole weird God stuff was kind of a lot with the whole going to be drafted stuff in his junior year. Like that part I didn't get. Like I was like, why did we include this? We could have just jumped. Yeah. Was it to show how religious he really is? I mean, he is deeply religious. Like, Yeah, but I still don't understand the reasoning of why he did that. Yeah, I don't I don't think that I got that because I felt like they were trying to come to some point with it that they were like, oh, instead of getting drafted to the NFL in his junior year, he decided to play out his Notre Dame career and do a senior year. And I was like, "Okay, why do I need to know that? (laughs) It seemed like they were kind of hinting that Ronaya is the one who sort of talked him into that. That's what I thought. Too, but then they didn't show any of that. Yeah, they don't really pursue it. Yeah, that was a thing that probably could have been cut too. And so I was just confused by it. I was like, okay. They were like, and he could have made millions of dollars for his family, and then he didn't. Right. Well, I think the reason they're bringing that up is because they want to show that there could have been a possibility of doubt or what? Well, I think it's to demonstrate what this cost him because if he had left college to go to the NFL draft at that point this story hadn't broken yet and so oh he probably would have been a first draft pick and all of that and it's pretty obvious that this story hurt his stock in the draft he ends up getting drafted like 38th in the second round so it cost him literal millions of dollars so I think I think that's kind of what they were getting at there but let's backtrack a bit he goes to Notre Dame from Hawaii and it's quite a culture shock not only because he's now living in South Bend Indiana but also he's Mormon and Notre Dame is very Catholic school and so this is the most this is right around the time Ronaya is really starting to flesh out that fake Lene Kakua profile another quote from Ronaya it was selfish but it's what made me happy and again this is why if it makes you happy don't let anyone tell you it's wrong is such bullshit advice. No, you do. I've done so many dumb things that made me happy. (laughs) 
Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm a stand-up comedian. Is that a good decision? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but it makes me happy, so <laughs> And so <Does> eventually <laughs> And so eventually Lene and Manti connect on Facebook and they start like flirting a little. This is right around the time he makes his debut at Notre Dame. And then they fast forward to his junior year, 2011. He gets a text from Lene saying her dad isn't doing well. And he is just super supportive about it. And of course, this is a lie. Lene is not a real person. I don't know if Ronaya's dad was not doing well at this time, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like... It seems all fabricated for any amount of affection from this person that sh- that she could get. And Manti eats it up because he's, you know, a fish out of water. He's at Notre Dame. Everyone's a different religion than him. They're all different. Everyone's probably a gross white girl. Yeah. And because <laughs> I've been to Indiana. I don't want to <laughs> fuck any of the women there personally. I've, I've been to I- Indiana. I had a girlfriend <laughs> who lived in Indiana. Uh, she was cute. She looked like Billy Joe Armstrong. <laughs> so... Uh, I wanted to make a million different Green Day jokes and my brain got overwhelmed and bailed. (laughs) It happens. It happens. So yeah, they really connect because there's no one else like him in South Bend. And he meets this person online who can, you know, they're from the same background, same religion, everything. So they, they really connect. And they play some voicemails. And Ronaya puts on a very convincing female voice. Oh, yes. Like to the point that when this story fully breaks, people are like, was this a team? Like, was there a team of people doing this to him? Yeah, because like, who is that voice? Like she really nutty professors this shit. Like she's playing eight different characters. Hey, babe, I hope you have a great game tonight. It's so fucking scary. Yeah, and it's all super convincing. But also, he keeps asking when they can see each other. And it's that thing where, you know, they'll have plans to meet up and something will fall through. But even then, just like video chatting, they'll try to video chat. And there's always some sort of like technical glitch. And like... By this point, you got to be like, you're, you're bullshitting me, right? Right? Like, why is he so dumb? Like, even though. So sexy. I think that's why. So hot. Yeah. He wasn't hot then, but he was hot shit. Right. Like, he was like a big deal. Also, I feel like maybe he just like liked that it was almost like. Because, okay, this is a thing that I think that successful ego tripping men really like is having a woman who is their diary and they don't have to actually be anything. They just have to be someone you can trauma dump on. And so it was just a trauma dump fest constantly because Renaya was trying to come up with trauma to dump to feel supported. And then I'm sure that Manti was like having a lot of different trauma and stuff. So they were just constantly doing that at each other. And if you're doing that constantly, you don't really need the validation anymore. You just are diarying. Yeah. If you frame it that way, I guess he was just kind of getting what he needed. So it didn't mm-hmm. really matter. Fulfilling a need. And also he's probably being a fuck boy. Doesn't want to talk about that. So this person enabled him to do that. Yeah. Cause she's not checking. She even in one of the voicemails was like, I don't even care that you didn't answer my calls. I don't care what you're doing. 
I just want to hear from you. And that is such a fucking ego stroke to this type of dude. Oh yeah, for sure. So like, he doesn't care. Yeah. It getting his emotional needs met fucking random Indiana hoes. Perfect setup for him. Yeah. Cause I think by this point, the catfishing documentary was out, right? Because like the movie. Yeah. But I don't know. This guy at this time doesn't know fucking anything besides football. 2010, it came out and they had. Okay. So yeah. He doesn't know anything besides football. Yeah. So he obviously missed that movie. And like, I remember even well before catfishing was a term, I had this friend named Grady in South Dakota who had a girlfriend in Iowa that he had been dating for seven years, but only on the internet. He had never met her. And I was like, dude, we're not that far from Iowa. She's fake. Like you're being like, I didn't have the word for it, but I was like, that's someone pretending. To you're getting grifted, somebody. honey. Yeah. yeah. You're getting scammed. So mm-hmm. like, even though catfishing wasn't like that well-known of a thing, like, damn, man, you had to have taken some of these hints, but. I frequently forget that most people are fucking idiots. Yeah. Or bad at the internet. Like, if nothing else. I've been on the internet since I was like, since the internet existed. And I knew from the jump that anyone you're talking to online could very well not be who you think they are. So like, what? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that was kind of the first rule of the internet is don't yeah, that trust was like the some internet. Day one shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I figured that don't talk to strangers probably applied everywhere. <laughs> exactly. But Manti never learned that. Apparently. So, oh, this is a dark moment. It gets so rotted. Yeah. One night, Manti Teo gets a text from someone claiming to be Lene's cousin, saying Lene has been in a bad car accident. And Ronaya calls <sighs> Manti Teo, pretending to be Lene's brother, and puts him through this whole song and dance where the brother's like, okay, I'm in the room. If you talk, she can hear you now. And he starts talking and like the breathing he's hearing in the background changes. And the brother gets back on the phone and it's like the nurse said, whenever you talk, whatever voice that is she's hearing, it's helping her recover. And it's like, that is really the point for me where I was like, all right, this is beyond catfishing. Like you are, you are emotionally damaging this kid. For me, I was like, okay, so the car accident thing has to be Renaya's way out of this. So she can kill Lene, right? Right. And we can all move on from this and he can go live his little football life and she can go do whatever she needs to do. Why? Why did she not just kill Lene and keep and not keep up the charade? Instead, made him so much more attached to her in the sickest way possible. The yeah. most disturbed, ugh, like fuck Naya forever. Yeah. It's- I hope that Naya doesn't forgive herself for this. <laughs> yeah, it's some it's it's dark. Like it is, it is some diabolical shit. To be sitting in a room breathing as if you are on uh, oxygen, just sitting in a room covering your mouth with your hands, doing deep breathing like you are in a fucking machine <laughs> for months. Yeah. It sounds like. And also, so then this brother character is always calling him, being like, hold on, let me put you on the phone with someone who's dying. Right. And like, 
oh, you did it so many times. Are you jerking off to this? Are you jerking off to this? Because yes. Yes, obviously, obviously. And also they drop into the mix that, oh, also... Lene has leukemia. They somehow, as a result of this- You ever get into a car accident and it turns into leukemia? (laughs) I hate when that happens. But yeah, they apparently, like the claim was like during the course of treating her for this car accident, whoops, they discover this leukemia now too. And Manti Teo has family members who died of cancer, which I'm sure he has told Ronaya, aka Lene, at some point in the past- And so now she's using his trauma against him a little bit. I fucking hate her. (laughs) So, um, wow. She's so lucky he's religious and not from like a family of crime. Yeah. Yeah. I, there is a, (laughs) I actually had that same thought watching this. I was like, man, she's lucky. This guy's not violent (laughs) like that. She's so lucky that he's like the least violent nicest motherfucker ever yeah and so this is the point where manti teo's parents find out about this relationship and they're skeptical because at first he's like no i've never met her and his dad's like motherfucker what and then manti teo's like no 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 no, i'm just joking i met her and his dad's like so i just wrote it off he's got a friend which man if you see something say something He's got this friend who around this time like did what Manti Teo probably should have done and went on the internet looking for information about this car accident and didn't Mm -hmm. find anything. Also, did no one ask what hospital she was in? Because then you're just like, all right, well, I'm going to call the hospital and ask for your room. And then what? He did the least amount of research possible, (laughs) which is why I'm saying this dude was a fuck boy and he just was getting his emotional needs met by this made up person. And like, yes, he was very probably in love with her and very attached to her, but it was like an idea of a person and he was still probably getting his dick sucked every night by some random Indiana sorority bitch every night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like. He didn't have time to do research if you're getting your dick sucked. (laughs) Like, I really don't think that this guy, like, I don't think that he did anything wrong, but he was just absolutely, like, being breadcrumbed and manipulated emotionally, but he also didn't probably have the emotion. They kind of talk about that with the whole, like, oh, I mean, he wouldn't have had time for a girlfriend anyway because it was just all football. Yeah, oh, that's not true. I'm sure. I'm sure he had girlfriends. Like you said. Right. But that's what I'm saying is like nobody who's that deep in football wants a committed relationship like that. So like he's not looking into it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he is right again that catfishing wasn't a thing people were talking about as much by then. He also checked with like other people who had dealt with this Lene profile online and was like, hey, do you actually know her? They were all like, yeah, man, of course. And no one actually knew her. No one knew her besides talking to her online and like, honestly, football dudes probably think that they've met her and don't want to sound dumb. Right. Or yeah. Or it's an ego thing where they like, they're like, yeah, I was talking to her and then I wasn't. Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, after his junior year, he has a chance to leave and doesn't. He decides to stick it out for his senior year, but also he keeps trying to set up times to meet 
Lene, and she keeps telling him no. And Ronaya in this documentary says that as a result of that, their communication started getting yeah a little like you don't want to see me. Okay, fuck off. And so Ronaya makes a decision at this point. She oh wait, we're skipping a very big thing that happened first. What September twelfth, two thousand twelve. Manti Teo gets a call saying his grandmother died and he and his grandmother were very close. So he's pretty broken up about this. And somehow Ronaya gets wind of this, probably Manti Teo texting the brother or something because Lene is still like in a coma at this point. And so Ronaya makes a decision. She calls Manti Teo once again, pretending to be Lene's brother and says, Lene has died. So now his grandmother is dead for real and he thinks his long distance girlfriend has died now too. Ronaya also calls Manti's parents pretending to be Lene's brother and tells them the same thing. So while this family is dealing with grief of their own, legitimate real grief over a family member having died, Ronaya jumps in and adds a little fake grief to the mix. Do we know that Ronaya knew that the grandmother died did did they say that i don't remember i think ronaya did know Ugh, fucking gross fucked up shit because because that to me says she's jealous that he's upset that is is upset about something that is not her and yeah it's a real bad look and she she takes it so far there's another phone call that is from lene's sister saying that Lene wrote him letters to send before each game before she I died. forgot about the letters. That is fucking disturbed. Yes. And these letters are delivered to him. And he is so inspired by this. He decides, one, to not skip the next game after all of this death has happened. And then decides to dedicate his entire season to his late grandmother, late girlfriend. And of course, this is huge news. He's being interviewed about it left and right. The story becomes a huge media sensation. He's keeping in touch with Lene's family. This part is fucking depraved also. At some points during his conversations with Lene, she would put him on the phone with her younger sister, who was actually Ronaya's real younger sister. And Manti Teo decides he wants to meet this younger sister. So Ronaya takes her to meet Manti Teo at one of his games, which that's insane. Haunted. That is so fucking creepy. Why? I don't remember this part. My brain must have been exploding. Yeah. (laughs) I was probably like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And they like, they even have pictures of him like meeting the younger sister and Ronaya's right there standing in front of him. Pretending to be Lene's cousin, I believe. And even creepier, at one point, like, this is where it turns into a fucking horror movie. Yeah, I hate this. Manti gets a call from Lene, and people at home should rightly be like, huh? Isn't Lene dead? No, 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 no. He could not let go. No. Lene explains that she had just gotten into some trouble and had to fake her death and go into hiding. What is Renaya's end goal here? Like, yeah, you were out. You were out. Lene was dead. You could have just like let it go from there. I feel like let it go and gone straight 
to therapy. But instead, she returns from the dead like two days before Manti Teo has to like go to the Heisman ceremony and prep for the national championship game because he has a great season his senior year. Notre Dame goes 12-0. They end up playing Alabama in the championship game. But when he gets this call from Lene from the dead, this is where it gets creepy because he's like, all right, if you're real, if you're really Lene, send me a picture of you holding a sign with today's date and the current time and with you holding up this one particular hand sign. And he gets that fucking picture. Which is insane. And at that point in the documentary, I was like, how? Like, did they just randomly, like, I, I assumed it was going to be a Photoshop thing, but turns out to be way more than that. Mm-hmm. Just like at that point, why? Why? Why bring her back to life, dude? That's the part that I'm like, okay, everything you did up until that point is bad, but you had enough of a conscience to just end it in a way that like kind of weirdly ended up benefiting him, right? Yeah. Let it go. Yeah, that would have been the thing to do, but I could have maybe thought you were the weren't the worst person on earth if like you had just let it go. And now he's got to go still be a college football player and play in the national championship game and he has a terrible fucking game. And no one realizes that it's because the dead girlfriend that has been the story of his season has now called him from the beyond and is like, nope, Black Mirror time, still alive. Actually, I'm alive. Which, fuck you, imagine mourning someone and then they're alive. Like, my stomach hurts thinking about that. <laughs> so then dead spin gets involved. There's a guy named Jack Dickey who works at Deadspin. He checks the email inbox where people send tips. And he gets an email with the subject, Manti Teo's non-existent dead girlfriend. And it's from someone named Chris saying that they need to look into this dead girlfriend story. And they do. And so they're conducting their investigation and they keep finding conflicting details in the reporting about Linnea's death. They also From like every different place that has reported on it. Like everything seems to be conflicting. Right. And these are major outlets. And they claim that was their whole intent in breaking this story was to show how lazy the media was being around this story. And they do have a pretty good point because even by then social media was enough that if someone had any kind of social media presence, you could find them online. Mm -hmm. Like we'd had Facebook long enough by then, MySpace, all that shit. And as they're looking for information about Lene, all they find is reporting about her death. Nothing else at all about her life. And like, I don't care who you are. There's something about you on the internet. Mm -hmm. So they were, they were suspicious. Yeah. If I were to find nothing about someone, that would be the most sus thing ever. Yeah. And they start to suspect that maybe Manti Teo was involved in this. and Which I would too if I was them. Yeah, because it like any person watching this, like you're going to come away from it being like, how could you be so dumb? Like mm -hmm. eventually you would have to put two and two together and realize you're being scammed. And I'm just Ken. <laughs> <laughs> and they point out that like that dead girlfriend story is probably why 
he got asked to go to the Heisman ceremony because defensive players, like with the season he had, it's not normal that he would have gotten picked for that. So there was some benefit to him, at least in the media and in the public eye for this story. So yeah, it stands to reason that they suspected he was maybe involved. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if someone told me this about like a non-famous person, like just like, um, an anecdote about somebody they knew, I would be like, so they knew. <laughs> exactly. And, Cause like, huh? And he had to suspect at the very least. I honestly just think he was just so wrapped up in his own life that like anything else felt like a project to him. Yeah. And so after the Heisman ceremony, he goes back home and he finally, you know, he, he tells his parents that Lene has come back from the dead. And his dad is Ugh. like, his dad is like, listen, son, let me tell you about catfishing. And, <laughs> and Manti Teo is immediately like, oh yeah, that's probably what's happening. It seems like that's probably. He was like, that was the first time I had heard the words catfish. <laughs> Which really does speak to him just being wrapped up in his own shit. Cause that movie was huge. Like it was a yeah, sensation. I mean, but also I didn't fucking watch that movie when it came out. Yeah. Like I didn't know about it. I was doing whatever the fuck 18 year olds do. Yeah. And I'm saying that movie was huge, but it was kind of a cult following huge kind of thing. It was huge in the way that like now it's been a TV show since then. Like it's, it's like huge in the way that like, everything on the internet was kind of huge then yeah because everything was new but also if you didn't care you just didn't hear about it it's not like now where if you're online you hear everything in the zeitgeist possible from when you just open anything it's it was more like you could fucking be like oh i'm gonna see what's going on right now and you could kind of look around yeah but if you didn't want it you didn't have to have it <laughs> yeah exactly so eventually Deadspin finds a MySpace profile where the Lene pictures came from, but they don't have a name. Meanwhile, on Twitter, there are tweets starting to spread where people are like, oh, hey, I know who Lene Kakua is. It is Ronaya. And so Ronaya's like, shit, we are. Me, me and Lene are toast. People have caught on. And so when Deadspin finds the person these pictures came from, turns out her name's Diane O'Meara, Ronaya, as it turns out, knew Diane well enough that when Manti Teo asked for this very specific picture, Ronaya was able to just reach out to Diane and be like, uh, hey, I need this picture from you. It's for like a sick kid or something. And that's where the picture came from. So they at least solved that mystery. Side note. I did just look up how old Manti Teo is, and we are the exact same age. So while this all was happening, I was the same age as him. So I didn't give a fuck shit dick about football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so like when he was going through all of this, I was the drunkest I had ever been. <laughs> um, also, he is an Aquarius, and I will tell you that Aquarius's entire goal in life is to be special and different. So that says a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah. And like the network's favorite Aquarius, Jessica Singer, same kind of vibe. Also an Aquarius. 
<laughs> um, it's just like their whole thing. So it kind of does make sense that he's like, well, I just have this special connection that's so different and so special in my weird one of the, one of a kind special life. Yeah. You know, and so like that's his whole fucking thing. And also, also, he just stopped playing for the NFL this year. Oh, really? Yeah. I Googled him and it says June 5th, 2023, TMZ Sports has announced he officially decided to move on from football and embark in a new chapter of his life aiming to inspire others. Mm. Aquarius. (laughs) Yeah. So I wonder if he had still been trying out for teams and just wasn't like getting signed. Last I checked, he played for the Bears for a little bit, but I don't think in I don't any know. like real capacity. So, oh really? So Ronaya realizes this story is coming out and calls Manti Teo to apologize, and he's like, "Apologize for what?" And Ronaya's just like, "Eh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just sorry. That's all." And about an hour after that phone call, Deadspin publishes their story. I'm just sorry. And that's when the world finds out the girlfriend's story was a hoax. His agent calls him and says, hey, how about you just go lock yourself in your apartment for a while and uh, don't, you know, don't look at the internet. So, of course, he immediately looks at the internet and sees that this story is broken. Ronaya gets a similar call from her father. So, yeah, no, I guess Ronaya's father was not dead. So shit has officially hit the fan. Every fucking media outlet is covering this story. People have questions about how he could be so naive and whether or not he was in on it. Diane O'Meara comes forward. Fucking Dr. Phil gets involved. He interviewed Ronaya for his stupid ass show. I have here in the notes, side note, Ronaya has massive fucking hands. Did you notice that? Yes. Like the size of her goddamn head. It's crazy. They're so big giant well she's got to have that big of hands to like be typing is all these different personalities <laughs> that's true operating she's eight got different- one hand being the cousin <laughs> one hand being the brother exactly <laughs> and manti oh teo God. does an interview of his own with katie couric and she's like hey did you do this to hide the fact that you're gay and it's like wow that feels like elite katie couric it's a shitty thing to say i will say yeah and it was like I mean, you know just because someone is stupid doesn't mean they're gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck off, Katie. And Katie Couric is like, listen, I feel like if I was on the phone with a man pretending to be a woman, I would be able to tell. And Manti Teo's like, all right, I'm going to release these voicemails. And I love mm-hmm. the part in this documentary where Renaya is like offended that he did that. Girl, for real. <laughs> I was like, honey, maybe you shouldn't have done it. Yeah. That that That's the dumbest shit in the world. That makes me know that she's still that same person. When she said that like that, I was like, oh, you're a cunt. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, you still care about what people think about you in this when you're a fucking awful person and you should just be like, I'm an awful person. Yeah. She was like, that's a narcissist. She was like, I get it, but and it's like, no, there's no but. Like you're, no, no, you no, should no. just get it. That's, that's therapy speak because you had someone coach you before this. You're a narcissist. God, I hate SNL, but the Bobby Moynihan clip in this. It, it, I mean, it's Bobby Moynihan. It doesn't have to be SNL. That would have made me laugh if it was just Bobby Moynihan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't, I don't mind Bobby Moynihan at all. Yeah, no, he's funny and good, and I've never heard a goddamn bad thing about him. Yeah, and I met him at Westside Comedy Theater once, and he was very nice. Uh, okay, so we love it. 
There's a clip in here, which again, the clip is very funny, but it also demonstrates at what scale Manti Teo becomes a fucking joke in this country. This was sad. Yeah. There's there's a clip from SNL where Bobby Moynihan is playing Manti Teo and he's like asked about what the situation is. And Bobby Moynihan goes, so I got a call from my girlfriend last week saying she was dead. And <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. But yeah, Manti Teo really not only becomes a joke, but there's so much speculation about, hey, did you do this because you're gay and you just didn't want people to know you're gay? And it's like, what? Why? Why would that be a thing? Like, why would he have to concoct this story to hide that he's gay when he could just like not tell any stories and just play football? Also, then why would it be a woman he was talking to? Yeah. Like. She still never said she was a man. He had no reason to think she was a man. Yeah, I guess maybe they were speculating that he was like, hey. Set he up- knew and he was like, oh, I'll just keep up this insane charade so I can be gay, huh? Yeah, it's it's a strange turn. And yeah, he's trying to get ready for the NFL draft. And all anyone can ask is, hey, are you secretly gay? It ends up like we mentioned, hurting him in the NFL draft. There is actually a clip of one sports commentator being like, teams want to know if Manti Teo is gay. And again, that's an important quote because this is this predates the Michael Sam situation. It was a very different NFL, and I doubt the NFL has actually changed that much, but they've at least changed enough to where they don't openly embrace homophobia like they were at this point in history. Yeah. But nevertheless, he falls to the 38th pick in the draft. I did appreciate that when the San Diego Chargers made the announcement, they said with the 38th pick, the San Diego Chargers proudly pick Manti Teo. That was a mm-hmm. nice touch. Yeah. I mean, ugh, so gross. The whole draft, I've always thought the whole drafting process is fucking gross. But I get it and I get why it's fun to watch and all of that. Yeah. But like, it just is so, it's icky. It's just icky. It's an icky vibe. It's really, truly ranking people. It's the same reason I don't like, like getting grades in school. I'm like, you get to decide what my worth is. Eat a fucking dick. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who aren't sports fans, him falling to the 38th pick in the draft, you might be like, oh, well, big deal. He's still going to be a... big rich athlete that's a lot of money that he just yeah that's like millions right millions of dollars like the difference between what a first round draft pick and a second round draft pick get paid is substantial he's lucky so sexy (laughs) i mean it didn't didn't help him at the draft no i'm just saying he's got that to fall back on yeah all those nfl gms were like well i'd fuck him so he must be gay well, that's exact. I'm like, y'all are gay. <laughs> yeah, y'all are it, wondering a lot about this guy being gay. Yeah, it really takes an unfortunate turn for him. Oh, it's so sad. And he talks, a lot of the end of the documentary is about him just becoming a fucking meme. Like there was literally a meme that went around called tailing, where it was people taking pictures with their arm around their imaginary girlfriend. A newspaper in San Diego, when he got drafted, did a cartoon of him walking on the beach with his arm around. And that shit was all straight heat. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny, yes. 
<laughs> yeah. No, the the comic made me so sad, but I was like, honestly, that person fucking hit that shit. <laughs> yeah, it was it's a the, the documentary gets sad. Very sad at the end. It, so like that comic strip, that's just a one frame comic and it's just him drawn on like the beach with his arm around nothing. And it's so sad. And you can tell. Yo, to be fair, he probably got so much pussy after this. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. One would hope at least. I felt so bad for him. Like women would be like, show me how you not gay then. <laughs> Yeah, but unfortunately, he also super duper gets in his head over this. And it's yes. understandable. This is a guy who's just been like the hero his whole life. Like he's been like his family loves him. He does good in school. He gets like he's not getting in trouble. He's fucking great at football. People like him. He's fucking pretty. And now almost overnight, he is the fucking laughing stock of the nation. Like that's going to be hard for someone like him to take. Like it would be it hard for, it would be hard for anyone. But like this guy's just trying to fucking make a living as a football player. And he's been, dude. Doing, he's just like ball is life. Yeah. And all this shit happens and you can tell, like, I mean, he eventually goes to therapy over it, but you can tell he's still pretty broken up about this and like very much haunted by it. And it all probably played a role in him not having that remarkable of an NFL career. Like he stayed in the league for a while, but he just wasn't, didn't really so amount fucking to much. Sad. Yeah. I looked up Naya's fucking Zodiac sign. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. She's a fucking cancer. Big surprise. <laughs> Big su fucking prize. No surprise there. So, I mean, yeah, she's he, actually a cancer Gemini cusp, which is the ultimate in terrible. Oh, he played for the Bears in 2020, but I think he was just on the practice squad. He probably played in 2020, had like a really good shot of being on the field, and then the pandemic happened. Yeah. Yeah, he was... Uh, put on the active roster for a playoff game against the Saints and then reverted to the practice squad after the game. How fucking lame, dude. Yeah. That sucks so much. So he just like basically got so fucked by this, just so fucked, and he was so good. Yeah, he was a really good player. And he said for his first few seasons with the Chargers, he just like... His like legs would go numb, right? Yeah, he said his whole body... Like he would, it would start with his feet and it would just move up his legs. And he was like, it was that way for the first three seasons with the chargers. It does say here he was uh, named one of the chargers team captains in 2016. So, I mean, yeah, he's never going to ever settle for like not being good in some capacity. It's so like Aquarian to be like, I'm so special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sucks. It it sucks. It really sucks. It's a really sad story. I'm in love with him. He's so hot. <laughs> He's so young. Like he could still be playing. He's my age. We football. could yeah. we could be together. 
<laughs> he's so big. He's so like huge and sexy and dumb and a nice. But he's not like unwieldy huge because he's only six one. So yeah, no, he's not unwieldy huge, but he's like could throw me huge, and that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Manti Teo, if you're listening to this, reach out. I think I saw a wedding ring, and so I mean, unless she's not real. Oh, then have someone reach out pretending to be you to Jen. Either way. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, his wife is hot, but they only got married in 2020, so. Oh, I have no doubt his wife's hot. His wife's hot, but like in a Snapchat filter way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, they have a kid. I'll leave them alone. Have a good life. (laughs) Oh, yeah, she's pretty cute. She's really pretty. She kind of looks like a Hawaiian Ariana Grande. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, she's good a for fitness him. enthusiast. Okay. So he's got a hot wife and a cute baby and a cute life. Yeah. That's he's good. fine. I'm sure. Sh- and I'm sure like he played that many years in the NFL. He doesn't strike me as someone who probably wasted his money. So no. And he's probably got a whole motivational speaker career ahead of him now. Yeah. Cause he's religious. So he's got He's always going to have that like public speaking income. Yeah, going and I mean, he had a really fucked up thing to him happen to him where he has now the capability to talk about a lot of different issues that a lot of people are probably really scared to talk about in his culture specifically, like homophobia and fucking football and religion and you know all of that yeah. shit and what people think about you online. Silver linings we find so, them here. Honestly, the Aquarian journey to be different. So good job, buddy. (laughs) So I think that's our episode. Should people watch this documentary? I think so. It's two parts. I think it was fun and good. It was easy to watch and I suck at watching stuff. So if I said it was fun and good and easy to watch, it was sad and bad and hard to watch. (laughs) (laughs) But you'll still enjoy it. No, it was really good. You'll enjoy it. It was sad, but not in a way that's inconsolably sad. Yeah. Uh, Jen, thanks so much for doing the pod. Hey, thanks so much for having me. What do you have to plug before we get out of here? Um, I have a lot of shows that I just, I promote them all on my Instagram. The thing is that like whenever I post those show dates, it frequently turns into more show dates or different show dates. And so just keep up with it there. It's like very impossible for me to try to announce anything besides come to SNL on the second Sunday of every month and watch the live stream if you're not in LA. And I think I'm going to have some Chicago dates coming up soon. So that would be cool. Just keep an eye on my Instagram. Um, I don't have nothing. I'll have stuff to plug soon, but not right now. Let's get the fuck out of here. Jen, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.